Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions, an opportunity for you to get a seat at the table. We've got a great champion this morning, Lauren Lavender, who's the host of Fortunately Relatable podcast, self-improvement and burnout coach, and a marketing manager. Glenn Lenny believes that if you can change the way people start their day, it'll make a massive impact in their life. So let's pull up a seat and let's join in on Breakfast with Champions. Mrs. Lauren Lavender. Well, good morning, everyone. And wow, what a beautiful morning we had today, as per usual with Tim. I'm so glad that he brought his friends, Molly and Nas. Thank you, ladies, both so much. It was such a pleasure to hear from you. Well, Tim talked about the discovery and the recovery of our lives. And I want to dive further into that and talk about how the two need each other in order for us to live a life of legacy. And Molly said, what good is the truth if we don't know how to live it? And I couldn't feel that any deeper in my soul. So with that, I wanna dive deeper into wisdom and get real, real right now with what it actually takes to leave a legacy that is bigger than yourself. You can't spell failure or guilt without you. Now, before you clutch your pearls and gasp at the horror of what I just said, I want you to take a humble knee and be grateful because you can't spell humble and grateful without you also. Hear me out. Somewhere along the way, you're going to fail. You're going to enter into something with desired expectations and exit with realized outcomes. You're going to start on a journey with rose-colored glasses and leave with fogged up frames. Then you'll take off your fogged up frames, look back at what you started, and feel a wave of disappointment that drowns your hopes and dreams like a flash flood tsunami. And this failure might show up as lack of preparation for a test or an interview, and might show up even with the best of intentions, like a burnt cake for your best friend's birthday, or it may even show up as your dream business totally crumbling from under you, because somewhere along the way, it just didn't work the way you hoped it would. For most of us, we have already experienced some version of this. We already had a taste, if not a few meals of failures that have left us in a failure food coma that's really hard to get out of. Most of us have at least one big failure that we can remember and we anatomically wish we could go back and redo it with the knowledge we have now and rewrite the ending. But what if I told you that there would be no you without that failure? What if I told you that without that failure, you would be completely incomplete? When I met my husband, I knew that my life was going to be changed forever. I knew that the second he got on one knee and gave me a fairy tale proposal. But unfortunately, my desired outcome, magic carpet marriage, was pulled out from underneath me and I was launched into a whole new world with no genie, no wishes, and no happily ever after. It actually ended up more like Beauty and the Beast, but this story was not a love story between a man and a woman. My marriage actually ended up being a story about me going from that beauty to a total beast. To sober it up and, and give it context in another way, if Jerry Springer and Walt Disney wrote a book together, that was my marriage. Now, I won't go into the full story of how my husband and I met, but if you are curious, I encourage you to listen to episode two on my podcast, Fortunately Relatable. The short story is, 
my husband and I were very different from the start. We had a 17 year age difference. We grew up at different times. We grew up on different things, different food, different shows, different music, different values. On paper, we had nothing in common. But at the time, when he put that ring on my finger, and when I said I do at that altar, I was willing to take a chance on love because I don't think love is something that you can always rationalize. After converting from Miss to Mrs., I felt a huge change, not just in the title and status of our relationship, but in me. I felt a really, really dramatic change in myself as I felt a lot of the pieces of who I was pack their bags and run for the hills. A lot of what made me unique was starting to move out of the values and expectations that my husband wanted to move in instead. For context, I am a very optimistic Leo with a free spirit. I have always walked at my own pace, beat to my own drum, and have a very distinct flavor about me. I am not for everyone, but for everyone I am. As in, I'm a people pleaser with a huge heart who just wants to be accepted, loved, and appreciated. And because my husband and I were so different in every single way imaginable, I just wanted to live out my people pleaser methodology and make my number one happy. And because I started to fall into his expectations of me as his wife and not the expectations of who I was meant to be in this life, I started to lose who I was. I felt myself changing every little part about me so that I can make him happy. I felt like I was co-piloting a plane and air traffic controllers were telling our descending plane to pull up and I couldn't figure out how to land safely without just jumping out of the plane by myself. I gave up a lot of my social life so that I could be home with him when he wasn't working. I gave up my career to be a stay-at-home mom, even though I loved working. I just wanted to take care of our son, so I thought it would be the best thing to do right now. I gave up the shows that I watched because when he came home from a long day of hard, laborious work, he should get to watch the shows that he wants to watch so that he can feel refreshed for the next day tomorrow. I gave up my alone time to fill it with the time and needs of another human being. And as an ambivert with equal qualities of an extrovert, who loves the energy of people, but energizes and recharges through the energy of being alone, I was falling off course and losing my alignment in order to be totally fulfilled as a person. I gave up everything and eventually I learned to give up giving up. Now for anyone who has gone through this or is a notorious people pleaser, I know you're bobbing your head right now and going, mm-hmm, I know that feeling you know how easy and slippery this is. This is so easy to do when you love someone. In fact, it's kind of in the contract when you get married. In sickness and in health, I'll take care of you. For richer or poorer, I'll cherish you. For as long as you both shall live, I'll be there for you. But what wasn't in the contract, or at least our contract of marriage, and what I learned over the course of an 850-day commitment was that in order for a marriage to work, you have to be 100% dedicated to yourself Two, without that proactive self-care, it's impossible to love another person and or be there for them. Two, what I should have done was set boundaries with my husband very, very early on. I was losing what made me, me. I didn't have the will to stand up for what I needed. I didn't have the will to make myself a priority. And I sure as heck did not have the driver dedication to get to know what was best for me without having to go through a failed marriage in order to find out. And I'm not here to dump on my soon-to-be ex-husband. I'm not here to air my dirty laundry for the world to hear. What I am here to do 
is talk about my favorite failure so far, because without going through this marriage, I would not be who I am today. I had to go through that marriage in order to identify what it is that I need in order to be unapologetically me. I had to go through the hard conversations, the immense heartbreak and division of assets to find out what I need in this life in order to be happy. And for me, that's ultimate fulfillment, both of which again, you can't spell without you. I value being able to be myself, unapologetically me, without having to give up anything in between. I believe we have one life to live. None of this reincarnation stuff, none of this past life monkey business. You have one shot. We have one shot. There is only one shot. And because of that, I'm here to make moves so that I can look back on my life and say these four words. I gave it all. Last week was my 31st birthday, and I wanted to share this episode of my life to reflect on my favorite failure, because if I'm lucky, I'll get a couple more 31-year segments on this earth. And if I stayed in that marriage for one second longer, I would not be able to look back as a 93-year-old woman and say, I gave it all. Instead, I would have looked back and said, I gave it all up. I couldn't stay a second longer. I'm not okay with giving it all up anymore. I'm only okay with giving it all without breaking who I am to fit the agenda of someone else. I would have let myself down if I stayed. I would have been in my hospital bed or my billion dollar mansion for all of us manifestors at 93 alone and wishing that I would have put myself first and gone after what I needed. That includes prioritizing self-acceptance and getting to know who I am, what I need, and how I can be of service to this world and return. I don't think life is very complicated. In fact, I think life is actually quite simple. Life is just a game that we get to make the rules for. I wanna look back on my life and say, I won. And in order to do that, I have to work backwards and create the milestone segments to get there in between. So I told myself, in order to win and say those four victory words, all I have to do is establish what game I'm actually playing, what rules I'm going to live by, and how I'm going to win. For me, that game is fulfillment. The rules are no settling, no compromising on self-care, and being proactive about living every single moment to its absolute fullest. It means finding the balance between sane and sincere. It means walking the tightrope of life with a smile and cheers. It means showing up for people that are insanely amazing like y'all and help them reach their successes too. And above all, it means being an ironclad mom to the best gift I've ever been given, my son. So in order for me to win, I have to follow those rules. Then at the end of my life, I'll look back at my perfectly Botox facelifted face with my eyelash extensions hanging on for dear life after six decades of abuse and say to my gorgeously aged self, I gave it all. So with that, I wanna ask you, what is your favorite failure so far? What is something that you've gone through with desired expectations, but left with realized outcomes? What is something that didn't go your way, but you pivoted and saved yourself from the mess and made it your message? What is something that you've gone through that perhaps you didn't anticipate the results of, but are so proud you went through it anyways? There's a reason you can't spell failure without you. There's a reason 
You can't spell quitting without you. There's a reason you can't spell humility, gratitude, and fulfillment without you too. Find you in failure. Find you in guilt. And most importantly, find you in humility, gratitude, and fulfillment. These words say it all. Find you in all of these words, and I promise you'll find the tools you need in order to succeed. My life hack for you today is to find the clues within you. Find the answers that are locked up in the experiences that you've already gone through, even the ones that have been really, really hard to look back and reference and figure out what was meant for you to learn within each of those experiences. You only get one life. You only get one shot. You only get one chance to look back at your life and ask yourself that one question. Did I give it my all? Don't let yourself down and not meet who you were meant to be before it's too late. Take today and make room for you. Make room for the life that you deserve to lead. And don't feel bad about asking for what you need. You deserve to be happy in every way possible. And sometimes that comes in making hard choices and learning to live with the actions you've taken, again, making room for the best version of you and finding you in fulfillment. So with that, I want to hear from all of you beautiful people. I want to open the stage, get some mic flashes, and hear how you have found you in your favorite failure. How did you or are you transform into the best version of you so that you can reach your highest potential? Hi, Monica. I see you with the beautiful body, your beautiful blue ring, this everything. How are you this morning? Good morning, champion. I am rocking and rolling this morning. I am in Florida on my fit and fearless road tour because I live on the road and girl, you are on fire this morning. Um, last year I blew up my whole life very much like you did. And I walked away from a, a good man, but, um, I knew that I was not living the life that was possible and that we both deserved more. And it was tremendously painful, tremendously upheaving. However, it was also probably the year of my life when I've experienced the most growth and the most learning. And as a result, I am living a dream right now. And so that's that phrase that everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. I would also add and probably pain, but it's worth it. Girl, I am in your corner and I know there are so many people here that support you in this transition and this transformation you're going through because we are all children of God and we are made resilient and we are made to lean on each other. So this is Monica in the Turquoise Circle and I love this segment and um, I love your energy and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Monica. And you know the feeling is mutual. I adore you. And um, congrats on this tour. That is incredible. <clears throat> you talked about the year. It was your year of your, the most growth, the most growth, which to me is the key word. It's like if we're not growing, if we're not improving, we're staying the same. And insanity, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So I am so proud of you. Thank you so much for sharing that and bringing us into your life a little bit deeper um, and showing us because girl, the growth is working. Whatever you're doing, it's amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing that. Does anybody else want to share? I'm looking at the stage. Hey, Mallory, I see you flashing, beautiful lady. How are you? 
I'm good, Lauren. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much. I'm much better now that I see you up here. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Um, hey, Monica, you know, I, I blew up my life too. Uh, I'm just, um, I'm ahead of it, maybe by about, I don't know, two or three decades. Um, so I feel, I feel you. And, um, you know, it's very interesting for me because I was in a room and this is what I love so much about Clubhouse. You know, I was in a room with Molly Dare and Molly Dare this was a while back, but she had said, you know, people have asked her, um, you know, how do you balance everything in your life? And and I actually had an opportunity to speak on her stage. And I had said, uh, I would ask a, a better question, not how do you balance it, but how do you not lose your balance? And at that time, I actually had hired Lauren. Um, and I, this was all because I wanted to not write a book. And then I thought, well, through the power of my voice, I could create a podcast and share my story because I'm, I'm sharing it from a scar, not a wound, meaning I'm ahead of it. It's behind me. That doesn't mean other people have healed, but I have. And so I hired Lauren and Lauren and I have gone through this journey and I've been actively scripting, recording, editing my very first podcast, which is called Don't Lose Your Balance. And thank God for Lauren, because I've found through hiring her and the conversations that we've had, and she's half my age, um, but I have found there's a similarity in many things that we go through, maybe as women even, and the, the choices and the decisions that we make and the partners that we choose. And, you know, this is a story about me and it's a painful one because it comes with much trauma and it's hard to be so revealing of yourself. It's so hard to share and even go back and remember the feelings that you tried to put behind you and, you know, for many of you who don't know me, I'm an addict in recovery, and it's much about that journey. So, you know, I want to thank you, Lauren. Um, I am forever grateful that God has put me into your um, life and me in yours. I just, you know, I feel very moved by all of it. And Monica, you know, I know what it feels like to do exactly what you said when you opened the stage with that. And yeah, I mean, I've said it. I've I, I blew up my life too. And here I am, I'm not dead, uh, despite all evidence to the contrary along the way, um, <laughs> you know, but I, um, you know, I hope you'll, I hope you'll listen to the podcast and I hope you'll, you know, recognize that it's hard even to share from a scar, um, you know, but here I am and I, I believe there is a greater purpose. And I want to thank each and every one of you for, you know, giving me the platform and listening to my story. And if you have something you would like to, you know, share with me along the way, I will answer each and every message and that I promise. So thank you so much. This is Mallory. I'm done speaking. And thanks, Lauren. Mallory, I adore you. You know this. Um, and for everyone listening, Mallory has done hard things. Mallory has made tough choices. She has found her in failure and it has been the most beautiful experience working with her. I've learned a lot about myself as well. And I encourage every single one of you to take the time when this podcast launches to sit down, 
grab your popcorn, grab a pen, grab some paper and get to know the real you through Valerie's story. She went through a lot of really hard things. She made a lot of really hard choices, but at the end she figured out how to maintain and sustain balance. Now she's a business owner, soon to be podcaster. She's a mom and a newly congratulated grandma. She's doing all of the things and living her best life. And so much can be learned from her. So Mallory, I'm in your corner always. Thank you so much. And I just adore you and appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, Coach K, I saw you on mic. Did you want to jump in and share? Hey, Lauren, did, did I unmike or was I clapping? Yeah, thank you for sharing your um, your testimony, your story and the transition you're going through. And I think it's really good when we're able to be authentic, uh, especially, you know, like you said, in coaching about vulnerability and authenticity, how important that is to being a great coach, because if you're always talking about being on a mountaintop, people really can't relate and really can't see themselves and their struggles in your story. So I really appreciated you being so honest and open about your current transition. I think we're all going through different transitions. Every season has its own transition and, and there's a lot of lessons in failure. And I was sitting here thinking about, you know, what is the big one? And I, I don't want to tell my whole life story, but what is a big one that I think about? And honestly, and I'm open about it now because I'm an advocate for it is when I went, uh, when I went through clinical depression, when I was in the top of my game and doing so well as a younger person running my first business, and the reason I closed my first business down in the first place was because I was burning out. I burnt out and didn't realize that I was taking on so much. And I went through clinical depression, which is different from uh, from just sadness and all of those things. It's a physiological medical situation. You have to either get counseling and therapy uh, and, and, medi and medication or therapy first and then see if you need medication. But I have to be on, I have to be on medication. And it's been a climb back. It's taken, it was a huge transition and it was very, what can I say? I think it was traumatic. It was a traumatic experience and rebuilding the process of rebuilding, rebuilding yourself, your identity, uh, you know, losing that sense of self. And I think that that was a really great share of you saying that because a lot of us can relate, even if it wasn't a divorce, it's something else that we go through that might feel very traumatic in that way. And uh, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're in it. But believe me, if you know, if you start to dig deep enough, you'll find strength and you will get there. And I'm just proud of you. I'm proud of myself and I'm proud of anybody that's going through that transition, that's trying to find who they are and is trying to find that tunnel at the end of the light. We encourage all of you. There is victory at the end. You just got to keep going. That's so important. You got to keep going. You got to believe in yourself. Thank you, Lauren. Appreciate you. Thank you, Coach K. And I have to ask because you are very successful in what I would define as success, which is you're leaning into who you are and doing what you believe is your purpose to reach ultimate fulfillment. How did you decide that this is the right time to make a pivot? I know you were, you're reaching burnout, you're going through a lot, you're launching your first business, and I'm sure at one point it was really hard you to know, say, I gotta let this go. How did you, how did you oh, let it go? Oh, it was, my gosh, it was so hard to say. It felt like I was getting rid of my baby, like my child, that I didn't, I didn't have kids then, I wasn't married, uh, and now I have kids and I can really understand how I felt. <laughs> 
but I literally had a funeral for my business. Believe it or not, sometimes you're going to have to do something, even that seems kind of crazy. I did a little mini ceremony to even let go, to let go the first time around. It was really hard, but I did that so I can detach and I could actually have some sense of closure and knowing that it's not goodbye, it's see you later. And that's how I treated it. Uh, and in my pivot, I'll say this. I think it's what Lauren uh, talks about, not Lauren, um, Laura. Is she here? She's not here. But she talks about about the flow. And I think if you're trying to be that person who tries to plan everything and you're, oh, everything has to be to the T, life will teach you that you're going to have to be adaptable and ready for how life is going to flow. So I ended up getting married, having my kids, um, going into contracting, still doing coaching, all of that. And the, the pivot just started to naturally happen. When I started, when I stopped trying to force things and I started to really pull back and let things unfold as they may and be a little bit more about being and so not so much about doing, like really having a sense of who I am and what God wants for me and walking through that natural process, things started to just unfold and they're still unfolding. I'm still in that transitional period. And that's why I just respect so many people on here who I know have gone through some similar ups and downs. I think those are the people you can really learn from and you can kind of sense that they stopped trying to do and started being and started really owning who they are. And I think that opportunities and the right relationships started to align. And honestly, too, being being prayerful and really being above above it all, when you really believe in God and you know that you have a purpose, you know that the next steps are ordered for you, you're not going to start overly stressing and you're not going to start trying to put that like natural uh, <laughs> earthly pressure on yourself that only tends to sabotage you. So when I stopped doing that, I think that's when things have naturally unfolded. The thing also, too, is to know the gratitude of all. I've been blessed that from 26 years old with a whole national security degree, I've actually been able to have a whole different career that was my other calling, which is in the coaching field and personal development of people. I've been blessed to be able to do that for 15 years, regardless of the mechanisms I've had to use to do it. So for me, I have to also honor that, honor the fact that I found my purpose early, was able to do it, and, it, and the fact that I was able to empower people along the way to do the same thing, to find their own purpose and be able to run their own uh, work and their own gifts. Love seeing people run in their talent. Love seeing people find what their true purpose is. And the fact that I've been able to do that in my early 40s, I'm just getting started. And that's that's the gratitude of it all for me. I had no idea, Lauren, I was going to talk so much about this that I didn't know I was even going to say anything. I unmiked by accident, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thank so glad you, so you much. did. No, thank you, because I think you gave us your heart on a platter and you also gave us some tactical things that we can do because we all have been there. We've all been in a situation where we got to let it go. We just got to let it go. And we got to know when, when to actually let it go. So thank you, coach K. I appreciate you so much. I could talk to you all day and maybe I will. Maybe we'll set up a call. <laughs> we, we're we're going to have to connect. Thank you. Lauren. We are. You. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Um, I hear another mic flash. Caleb, I also saw you flashing. Did you want to jump in before I hit these beautiful ladies at the bottom of the stage? All right, I'm going for it then. Hi, Heather. How are you? Hey, 
some of the stuff I had no idea about you. So thank you so much for opening your heart. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know necessarily that my life blew up, but I blew up my business, which was really, <laughs> really hard to do. And um, just like Coach K, who I also love and adore, I had to move with God's spirit within me, which you guys, it's so hard because when you are so used to talking about one thing and your audience is used to talking, hearing you talk about one thing, when you switch on them, it's so freaking scary. It is so scary. And in my transition, I had to come to terms that I might lose followers. I might lose clients. I might even lose some friends because I went from, talking about weight loss, which I was very comfortable with, with talking about for years. Um, but I just had so many people that were coming to me on the back end, asking me for advice on their marriage and their sex life. And I just felt this tug, like Heather, you need to do it. And I was like, yeah, there should be a Christian going into churches and talking about sex. There should be yeah, God, you should, you should have someone do that. <laughs> and I, and then all of a sudden it was like, no girl, it's you, <laughs> it's you. And so I actually had to learn how to step in and trust God and trust the process, be scared. You know what, like Esless and just go for it, not knowing what was going to happen. But now I'm on the other side. I think I'm like almost three years into this now. And there's been so many relationships that have been impacted because of my story that I'm sharing, my 12-year sexless marriage story and how we overcame and how we went from sexless to sexified. And I never knew that my struggle was going to turn into this. And like, I just led a nine hour event through my club this past Sunday. And that was my first event. And there was almost 2000 people. I just stepped in, not knowing if one person was going to come, but all these people came and I'm still hearing like story after story and release after release of people who are finally having their first orgasms and all these different things because I said yes to Jesus. And so you guys, we just have to learn to go with the flow of God, even though it might be crazy, like it might sound crazy to us, but if we listen to God's call, he's going to explode it in ways that we never thought, you know, would be possible. So that, that's my share. And I just love you, Lauren, to pieces. And I love all of you Breakfast of Champion people. I just, this is my like way to wake up. And it's almost like my church. I come in here and hear from all of you guys. And I just love you all so much. So I'm Heather and I'm done speaking. Heather. Okay. Yes. You you want to talk about people that are doing hard things, girl, you are doing hard things. You made a big transition. And I would say it's it's probably harder than a divorce, just, just saying, because you literally went into something that was so unprecedented. It's like, okay, I don't see anybody else like me around. I'm going into a totally uncharted territory. I'm going to put my neck out and I'm going to do this thing and I may not be accepted for it, but you did it. Anyways, what did you tell yourself that to, to get yourself to lock in and say, we're doing this and we're going and we're not taking any prisoners? What happened for you to make that shift? Because it was crazy. It was all the things, but you did it anyways. What's something you could tell us and give to us so that we could help shift into who we're actually meant to be? 
<clears throat> I just did it like I'm crying now, but like I had to do it through all the tears and I had to do it through my husband even saying, you're going to start to talk about our sexless marriage. And I said, listen, when we were in the midst of our sexlessness and if someone had the answers on how we could get over it, would you want me to, to go listen to them and figure it out so I could bring it back? to our own marriage so I could help to save our own marriage, you know, cause I love us. Like, wouldn't you want, wouldn't you wanted me to like find a way? And he broke down, which he never cries, Lauren. He never cries. He keeps all his feelings inside, which is part of <laughs> what our problem used to be. But he's like, yes. He's like, if there was a solution and you could have bring it to us, yes, I would want you to like go and search out somebody. And I said, that's why God is calling me to this because we're the ones that have gone through it and we're the ones that have overcome and we have the solution. We have to be the ones, you know? And so that that's my advice is like, sometimes we think it should be someone else, but no, it's us. Like God allows us to go through our situations for a reason. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the people that we're going to touch in the future that need our message. So that would be my advice. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We can learn a lot from your strength. I adore you. Thank you so much. Hi, Shirley Ann. I see you flashing. Did you want to share? I do. Oh my gosh. You all are so like bold. Literally. I was vibing with Tim and what he was talking about. And then you open up with the story of your life. That's kind of almost like my life. And I'm sitting over here and I'm like, okay, God, are you talking to me? And, and then Heather bounces back with, um, with, um, possible solution. Cause I'm in my mindset, like, you know, do, do I blow this up and walk away? I'm kind of like in the midst of like vibing, like you were talking and really moving and, Blah, 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 blah. And I got my children on platform, but it really doesn't matter because it's all about being free for me and just listening to you all who, who are doing what you need to do. And I love how you spoke of the you, meaning it, re, it, it involves you, the individual taking action. And I'm sitting over here like breathing like, oh, my God, really? And so I inbox Heather kind of like help and probably will do the same thing with you because I'm kind of at a crossroad. You know, I was married before, lost my first husband through a death and um, then remarried, but was vibing and moving. And, and my spouse, kind of like what you described, not necessarily age different, but personality wise and, and activity wise and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to really just celebrate you for um, your boldness. And so what this also said to me and shows me is that this room um, is full of bold people, but then yet it's a safe place. And sometimes our mind tell us that we can't talk about what we're experiencing, what we're going through. And Heather really blows it up because she talks about a sexless marriage. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? So I just love the space and I just wanted to to tell you that I, I know that I personally have some decisions that I need to make and, and get over fear and whatever that decision may or may not be. But just truly, uh, as my youngest son says, King, take a look in the mirror. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you is what I want to say to you and the others that unmiked and were bold enough to share. God bless.
Well, thank you, Shirley Ann, because that is the my my love language is direct feedback. So <laughs> thank you so much for letting us know. And this is a safe place, y'all. This is why I come in and share and show up unapologetically who I am, because I know it can break down the barriers for all of you to do the same. So I appreciate you so much. Hi, Colleen. I see you flashing. How are you, beautiful? Lauren, Queen Lauren. What an amazing <laughs> segment. Oh, my goodness. These shares are so life-giving to everyone here. Now, clearly, Lauren, the you in Lauren is the, the most utterly unbelievable soul and human on the planet. You Woo! so rock. <laughs> Um, you were you and Alpha were the first uh, people I heard when I came onto uh, into this room several months ago, and I was like, "Whoa, I want to be with them every day." <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. Wow. So I blew up my life with my profession, <laughs> and as a result of that, I blew up opportunities opportunities to read the, meet the right man and get married, opportunities to have children, opportunities to have family time, opportunities to have fun, and then ultimately lost my health to the point of almost losing my life. Um, so similar to Coach K, ultimately a lot of conditions then uh, led to near life-threatening burnout. So every organ system, every hormone system was shutting down so I, I so love and appreciate this. And, and unfortunately, that is not an uncommon thing. Not uncommon, and certainly as a black woman, there are just some other overlays to that, often being the first to do this, the first to do that. So you, you know, you're figuring it out and using all the energy doing that. So um, thank you for this. I am so grateful to God, grateful, grateful, grateful to God that I did make it and I vowed if I live through this, I'm gonna do what I, 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 everything I can to help other women. So the profession is, you know, physician and then mental health physician, psychiatrists on top of that. So for years, years, I was seeing patients back to back to back six to seven days a week. So as a result, those things that I, I told you lost opportunities, but I'm so grateful um, now to be more aligned or aligned with people such as the people here at this table, who we are like-minded, spirited, hearted, like for real, for real. <laughs> that was very hard for me to find uh, in my profession. Um, you know, I'm all about by, by nature, um, you know, being real true, honest, flow and community. And so through my journey, I had everything but that. And again, I've, you know, swimming against my natural tide uh, got me really sick. But now um, I'm also in transition. Um, I have, I'm saying have, have moved <laughs> back mm -hmm. to New York. That's where my family is. So now I'm a bi-city person, uh, New York and the DC, Maryland area where I, I've been living for over 20 something years. So the opportunity actually came through, you know, it was time to, to come and help my mom who was developing more, more trouble with mobility through her arthritis. So through that, God said, look lady, this is the time, make the move. You're doing telemedicine, you can do this now. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> so two weeks later, I, I was moved and literally moving uh, my life 
has changed. I mean, to see my family get kisses and hugs every single day for my siblings, um, just connected with the community I grew up in. So I had already made a lot of shifts to, uh, you know, pick up on those lost pieces. But this was the other last piece to have it just gel. So um, just encouraging everyone, don't give up on that. You know, I help people to uh, deal with, prevent and deal with transition out of burnout. You know, get the help that you need. It is absolutely possible and uh, recover your vibrant life. So now, in addition to being Dr. Hawthorne, the psychiatrist, I'm so glad to be Dr. Vibrant, the real me, as a coach and speaker and consultant to top achievers to have them live more vibrantly in work, life, and play. Love this room. Love you, Lauren. Ooh, thank you, Colleen. Okay, you answered a lot of callings, but it sounds like some of them were kind of put upon you and you leaned into them anyways. What was going through your head? Was it really hard for you to jump in and start tackling your health? What, how were you able to handle that transition? Because a lot of us are going through some health stuff right now. I know a lot of people that are dealing with health and they're trying to juggle all the things And we were talking about with Mallory. How do we not lose our balance? How did you lean in? How did you find balance? And how were you able to maintain and sustain so that you could actually live in, in total fulfillment and reach Dr. Colleen, the fabulous that you are now? <laughs> oh my goodness, great question. Well, like like a lot of us, I'd lean in and lean back out, right? Lean in, lean back out. The moment you start feeling a little better, but for me, then it became literally, I could not lean. I was almost out of here. So I uh, could barely function. So, you know, I teach folks, nope, you listen to the signals. Our bodies are these incredible computers. They give us signals from the first second but we've got to learn, particularly as high achievers, overachievers, how to listen to that, make the pivots then. So I am like dedicated to doing that for others. And I'm very good at that. And I was for, for, for a lot of folks, but it had been so ingrained in my DNA to just take care of everyone else first. I mean, starting from the child, you know, immigrating here from Jamaica. So um, it was so ingrained. Um, but so for me, it took literally almost losing it all, my business and everything else. So my back was against the wall. Um, but yeah, and I did not like at all. I didn't like at all, all that pushing I was doing, but like you said, Lauren, right on point, like a lot of us, you know, it was more kind of, um, appeasing others that I made that decision. As far as I know, I was a six, seven, eight-year-old, just thought Marcus Welby was cool. Yes, I've now dated myself. <laughs> thought Marcus Welby was cool and the whole doctor scene on General Hospital, and that was, you know, the main focus then. I was like, that's so cool. And I, I said it out loud. The next thing you know, yeah, you could be that first person in our family of hundreds to be that doctor. So the next thing you know, I just kept, everything was built on that, built on that, built on that. And it was not a pleasant experience for me. We didn't know at that time, you know, choose the thing that seems natural and that you, you love doing. Didn't know that. I just knew, I said I was going to do this. And I worked myself to the, well, almost to death to do it. Um, but I didn't like med school at all. Um, it felt... I didn't realize that, you know, it felt very unnatural. 
because I'm about community. I'm about honesty. I'm about like, let's do this thing for real. If we're helping people, this ain't no business first. So literally that was making me sick at my core. I mean, we didn't know those things then 30 years ago. Um, yeah. So that piece about really being clear about what you're here to do. I'm not saying I wasn't here to do that. I, I'm clear about that, but it would have been done a different way. But, you know, this is often for other people and I get that. I remember at my worst, I was like, God, daggone it. I gave up my life to help everybody else. And now I got to be so sick because you're telling me it's going to help everyone else. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm so grateful. I, I, I learned so much from finally getting coaches and mentors. And so, you know, the teachings and the angle was so different from what we learned in medical school and even in mental health at that time. You know, you're talking about back then, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you know, for months you're talking about, okay, you know, your potty training and your relationship with your mom, your dad. And at that point, I'm like, there's got to be a faster way. This is nuts. But you know, I, this is what I did. I had to go through it. And finally, the coaching industry took off, started booming. And within the first two, three weeks of being with a coach, boom, you know, significant shift. And I thank God for that. And I've been on the up trajectory since. Of course, as a physician, it takes some time and effort to kind of weave through that to start building, you know, other things to do. But I'm so grateful today, like totally being me, Dr. Vibrant. And uh, thank you for that. Well, I hope that helps them. I hope that helped a lot of folks. I know it's going on and on, but I hope that helps some folks with what they're dealing with. And also maybe even understanding the real deal behind a lot of physicians. If you see your physicians like, really looking burned out, stressed out, it's it's more than you know. God bless you all. Thank you for your honesty, Colleen, and I'm so glad that you leaned into the real you and you answered the callings, though it wasn't planned, that wasn't part of it, that's life. Life is what happens when we're busy making other plans. So I appreciate you, Colleen, so, so much. Diane, are you here with us? The beautiful Diane Dixon, are you here? Yes, I'm here. Hey, Hello. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing fine. It's Laura, right? It's Lauren, girl. It is Lauren. And we are talking about doing hard things and finding you in failure. And I know you are very familiar with doing hard things. How, how do you handle what I call failure, even though it is not the end all be all? How do you handle failure and how have you pivoted into the best chapters of your life? Hey, Lauren, thank you so much. So, I mean, failure really isn't, is not an option for me. Um, I have to go and dig deep back into my Olympic days when I was great. I, I know I'm still great. And look at some videos and do some mental motivation, some meditation. Um, the games were the past two weeks, and it brought a nostalgic feeling for me because I remember when I was there and I knew what all the athletes were going through. You know, it, it's mental it's mental toughness. You know, you have to really, really be at your best, you know, when you're feeling at your worst. So um, you have to just draw back into what you were taught, what, what I was taught with my coach when I was younger, how to become the best I could be and to be, you know, on top. I mean, it, it, it was kind of hard, but, you know, I'm from New York City, so I have tough skin, but every single day I had to really convince myself 
you know, what I was taught, you know, as far as my coach said, you know, have tunnel vision, you know, have that, that, um, the mindset, have, um, be very focused, be disciplined. And, you know, you have to, you know, I used to just kind of like talk to myself constantly, you know, write down notes, write down different things that he told me what I had to do just to remind myself, you know, who I was. And then to transition into who I am today, it's just a reflection of who I was and who I, who I am right now. I mean, I have a 25 year old son. He's amazing. He's awesome. And at a very early age, I taught, I taught him how to have a very strong mindset to be the best that he could. Um, he went to school. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't great for him. He became an entrepreneur, but, um, we have our daily talks all the time. We meditate, you know, he stimulates me. I stimulate him, but it's about, um, just repeating things, you know, reflecting, refocus, regenerating, you know, rebooting, you know, and just sitting down, just reminding yourself or reminding myself, you know, what it is to take to be great at all, at all times. I mean, I've had my low, my low days, my low, my low days, I've had my high days. And at the lowest point, you know, I just have to go back and sit back and have a quiet space. You know, I have to have a quiet space and sit down and just turn off my phone, turn off my TV, sit down and just keep reminding myself, okay, what got me to be as great as I was, as I am? You know, um, the low points didn't last very long because I will always have to go back and watch. I watch videos. I'm a, like a YouTube person watching all type of track and field videos of me in competition, my interviews. Just, you know, it, I guess just reminding myself um, what it takes to be, to, be, to be the best that you can be, you know, and... You know, it's tough. You know, I'm an entrepreneur right now, so I have my own company. And um, all the skills I learned from being in competition just made me a better person today. And when I watch the games, you know, that just makes me, like, I get sad and I get happy because I'm like, my God, you know, I remember when, you know. And then, um, I, you know, I, I get on this high plateau again because it's like you're reaching utopia. You can never reach the same level of being an Olympic champion, getting a gold medal, there's nothing that can ever, ever become like side by side because that's utopia. So what could I do to help me get that same momentum as that mindset to be an Olympic champion? And that's what I do. I just focus every single day on reaching my goals. I have daily affirmations. I have stickies all over my house reminding myself what I have to do on a daily basis because I tend to forget sometimes as I get older. But, you know, that's, that's what I do. So thank you for asking, Lauren. I'm passing the baton back to me. And I hope I answered your question. You sure did, Diane. And I always have a million more questions because that's just the curiosity creature in me. So you did you always know you wanted to be an Olympian? How did you decide? Was it a vision? You were just like, hey, I'm really good at this, so I guess I'll do this. How did you decide? And then how did you answer the calling and reach the total peak of what you were trying to accomplish? I mean, to be an Olympian, first of all, you have to have talent in your craft. And I think Tim Story spoke about that. I knew at 12 years old I wanted to be in competition to run track and field. And then my coach at the age of 14, um, I was really good. I think it was just innate. It was something that I just I, I was just good at. Um, when I was turned, I think it was like 16, I had over 200 scholarships to different colleges. And my coach told me one day, he was like, you know what, you're going to be an Olympic champion one day. And I said, Olympic champion? I didn't know what the Olympics were. I just knew I wanted to run track and field. 
But throughout the years in my competition and me running and becoming better and better and better, um, it just became secondary to me, you know. Um, the Olympics, people don't understand, but the year prior to the games, which didn't happen last year, is the world championships. And we all know who's going to make the team. We have our national championships. And um, I trained throughout the course of, you know, the year. I ran all these track meets, international. And um, once he told me I was going to be an Olympic champion, he trained my mind more than my body. Because I believe that, for me, athletics was 75%, maybe 70%, mental 30% physical. And so coming from New York City, it was tough. I'm in the inner city. And um, I like the thrill of winning. I like the way it made me feel. And so when I made my first Olympic team in 1984, I was, um, I was 20 years old. And I went in there just like, you know, okay, you know, I'm going in there, I'm just gonna train, I made the team. And um, I didn't really, it wasn't a thought process of me making to become an Olympian like some other Olympians, it just kind of fell into my lap. And then 1988, I became the top American, one in the 400 meters. Um, we broke the American record in a mile relay. We still have it 33 years later. Um, I like the thrill of winning, you know, and I guess this, it was my personality and it was the way that my coach trained me. I remember in 1991, I became the first American woman to win the World Indoor Championship. I broke the American record in the 400 meters and lasted for 20 years until 2000, like um, 1991, 2011, or 12. But um, it was just me. You know, I always had that mindset that if my coach told me to go walk on water, I could walk on water. And so he basically used to stop me at practice. He used to say, discover the, I mean, um, tell me about the, um, the color blue. Or, you know, ask me all kind of questions, you know, what does color blue mean to you? I'm like, what are you talking about? No, you call me Didi. There's never any unprepared answers. There's unprepared questions, but never unprepared answers. So he would always have me read 10 newspapers. I had to know things that were going on internationally. So I think it stems from your coach and your mentor and the way they, they get into your mind. And I was always very astute. I mean, I had to give extemporaneous speeches. Nothing was ever written down. I had to do things by memory all the time. And so I think that actually kind of helped me. And when I made my first Olympic team, the second one was like a walk in the park because to make the United States Olympic team is one of the hardest teams to make because we have so many great athletes in every sport and every distance. Well, not every sport, but every distance. But, um, you know, it became natural to me. I wanted a few New Yorkers who actually made it to the podium who have um, multiple medals. And um, like I said, it was my coach. My coach raised me to be so fierce, so, you know, so like, you know, you can just, you can do this, you know, put your mind to it. And every single day he would ask me all these questions that had nothing to do with track and field at all. He'd had me go, I remember going into Soho to the village of Tribeca and I had to study people. And he would say, he would point out a couple to say, What's their field of work? Um, what do they do? You know, and then, as, you know, being a youngster, you can go up to a stranger back then and say, okay, you know, I want to know, um, so what do you do? And I had to study my study people like I studied my competitors. So he made me watch videos over and over and over. And I had to study people in New York City, wherever I went, internationally, learning language, learn who was the prime minister, learn what the food, you know. I mean, he just had me as a, you know, 
he had me as a, a cultured athlete as well as a cultured individual. Wow. I mean, holy cow. To me, I, and again, thank I'm you. Telling, yeah, wow. I mean, I just can't believe the amount of effort. It wasn't just your body. Like, I know, of course, when you are, when you reach that level of athleticism and that little of being a champion, of course, there's going to be some mindset work. I didn't realize how how much went into that. Thank you for bringing us into your world. That is really fascinating. In particular, I love the, what what does blue mean to you? It's like he's always throwing you a wrench. Yeah, describe the color blue. It's like light blue, dark blue, you know, turquoise. You know, he would always just ask me arbitrarily questions in the middle of a workout. And I never knew how important it was until I got on the track and I had to be very astute. I had to study my competitors to know when they're going to make their depth, when, when they're going to run, when they're going to start getting faster, you know, different points in the race, how I had to respond and react. Now, I don't know if every athlete or coach does that. I know Bobby Kersey, who coaches a great Allison Felix, um, who I know very well. He does that type of mindset as well. So there's not many coaches who really delve into cultivating an athlete off the track as well as on. But my coach definitely had me on top of my game at all times. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Diane, you are the bomb. I, I've always loved you, but now I love you even more. Thank you for thank you. to your world. <laughs> so good to see you this morning, DD. Hey, Davis Bizak, how are you? Hey, Lauren. Good morning to you. Good morning, champions. Good morning to the great Diane Dixon. How are you? Hey, how are you, David? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. <laughs> Always you. wonderful to see you and even better to hear from you today. Um, Lauren, so what a what a great subject because, you know, it is uh, completely inevitable. None of us are going to escape um, in some form or fashion unscathed. You know, uh, we will run into obstacles, adversities. Uh, rejection, defeat, situations, and um, and I was just saying to somebody recently, and then I want to say something about. Um, I want to ask Miss Diane something, uh, but I was saying, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in my life is that two things happen whenever we get faced with something. We get punched in the face with something from life. One is reaction, and the other is response. And what I've noticed is the people, when, when you see a human being able to move from reaction to response in a shorter amount of time, the, the less time it takes between those two, uh, I, those two things uh, that are uh, connected to any type of adversity, the less time in between, typically the better the outcome. Uh, the more pronounced, uh, positively pronounced the outcome, and less long-term harm or negative impact is done to the person that's involved. So in other words, if something happens and I react, I react with anger, I react with frustration, I react with disappointment, I react with why me, I react with any of those natural, very natural, understandable and justifiable responses. But if you could imagine, we all know people 
that are still living in the reaction. They're still stuck in the reaction. And what it does is over time, it's like the, the difference between mortar and cement. Mortar takes very long to harden. Cement takes no time to harden. And, and so what happens is it's like we're driving that proverbial stake in the ground where we are. And then it's a matter of if we can move from that reaction to our response, a positive response, it's, you know, at that time, it's like mortar. You could pull that stake right out of the ground hours later uh, after the mortar's been poured and it's no big deal. But if it's cement, if it hits us very deeply and it paralyzes us, then it gives it time for that cement or that scar tissue to form. And then once that happens, it seems like it takes a long time for, for, for that to get broken through. And the longer we have that scar tissue, the more damage it does to our psyche, our attitude, our outlook, our self-esteem, our belief, our self-efficacy. And, you know, I, I just want to give you a massive um, just support and uh, and love and respect uh, because uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind that that the wound is deep and that it's uh, painful and the disappointment is incredible. But you know, I literally felt like when I had the the good fortune to be um, on your podcast yesterday that I was witnessing a remarkable human being and I was witnessing exactly what I was talking about. Somebody who obviously took the time to have those reactions as you naturally would, but who was very quickly much more focused on the response on what's next and what this can do for me. And maybe this is some type of blessing that I can't quite define just yet, but I'm going to go find out how big a blessing. So, just hats off to you, um, and I think that it's an important thing for everybody to consider when you have this type of punch in the face, have your reaction, you're due, but you're more due, you deserve moving from that reaction to the response. And then with that, I want to ask uh, Miss Diane. Miss Diane, I'm always curious when, you, when I speak to elite athletes, elite performers like yourself, is it the is the fact that you love to win or is it the fact that you hate to lose that you think um, drives you and elite athletes like you? Because I've asked because when you talk to a Kobe Bryant or a Michael Jordan, uh, Steph Curry, some of these other folks out there, um, they absolutely hate to lose. And that seems to drive them. And I know it's different for everybody, but what was it for you? Thanks, David, so much. So for me, it was, I like to win. You know, from an early age, I just like to win. Um, the thrill of losing meant that if I did lose, I would have to study what I did wrong to make sure I make it right. And so winning for me was very important. Um, and it wasn't even about the times, because I knew once I won and I ran the race I was supposed to run, um, I was going to break records. You know, I've broken so many records. It's just like, you know, I can't even count on, the, you know, how many records I've broken. But for me, it was a thrill of winning. I like to win. And that was my whole mindset was to win. You know, it was never, ever um, losing or, 
you know, not being able to win. I just, I wanted to win. So every race I went out, they called me the indoor queen because I, um, I won like, I think 10 national indoor championships from, I'm going to tell my age, from 83, 82 to 92, I was undefeated indoors. I won 10 indoor national championships in a row. And every year the pressure is on because like right now they have the social media, which we didn't have back then. But it was like Diane Dixon won six national championships. She won nine or 10, whatever. And NBC always featured me because I was always the one. I was very comical. I was very, you know, entertaining. And I always said, you know, if I liked my competitor, I may be here by one second, but if I didn't like her, I'd be here by two. And so that was like, <laughs> oh my God, exactly. You know, if I didn't like it, it was a wrap for you. But um, I enjoy winning. And, you know, and it's funny because you go into a race after your training and you're practicing and you just, you have that feeling. You just know you're going to win. When I won the Olympic trials in 1988, I was in lane, I think nine. It had poured down raining. They held the race up for like an hour. Um, and I went out there and I said to myself, oh, my God, I'm in lane nine. I can't see anybody. What am I going to do? Well, you have to think about winning because if nothing else, you're going to take second or third. But I, I won. And so that for me, it was all about winning. I just like the I like the thrill of winning. I like the way it made me feel. Um, there was not a lot of pressure as it is right now mentally with these athletes. You know, I, I understand the mental health wellness and everything, but. Back when I was in competition in the 80s, 90s, and the 2000s, you know, you did what your coach told you to do, you know, and that's what I did, you know. He said, go out there and win the race, and that's what I did. And so for me, it was all about the thrill of winning. So thank you. I'm passing the time back to you, David. I hope I answered your question. Well, it's so appropriate that you're passing the baton, right? I got to pass it back to Lauren, but I appreciate you answering. It's so interesting how some athletes focused purely on winning there is there is nothing else and you're focused on hey if i win i don't have to i don't have to deal with what comes from losing and other athletes are like no i'm going to focus on the fact that i hate losing i would do anything to move away from or avoid uh what comes from from losing so it's it's uh, it's interesting i Thank you for answering that question. And by the way, you're age, you're ageless. You know that you're ageless. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, and speaking of passing batons, we got another serial champion up here. Greg, how are you today, serial champion? Hey, Lauren. I'm. This is Gregory. I'm doing great. Um, I, you know what? I want to follow up with uh, with David. What what you asked? Uh, my motivation. Thank you. I, I was, hey, uh, Greg, how you doing? Oh, my God, I love you. I love Diane, you. it's hey, good to Greg, see you. Thank you so much. Go ahead. Good to see you here on Clubhouse. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, my first Olympics was 76, Montreal. Um, uh, I was 16 and then continued on. Uh, didn't go to the 1980 Olympics because we didn't send a team, but qualified for that team. And then two golds, 84, two golds, 88. Um, and as far as you know, winning versus uh, losing, uh, I didn't. I didn't view my competition that way. I I had a different approach because where uh, where I started, I started in dance and acrobatics, performing on stage when I was three. So I was a performer, and so that's where I. That's that's what really motivated me. 
And uh, my coach, Ron O'Brien, really tapped into that as far as, you know, what I was, we, what we were able to accomplish. I'm a firm believer you don't achieve greatness on your own. There's always somebody there, whether it's a supportive parent or friend or coach, you know, you, nobody does it by themselves. And so uh, the one thing that my, my coach, Ron O'Brien, tapped into through my decade of dominance in, in diving was my performance. Um, I didn't look at other people as my competition. You know, they were not my competition. My competition was me. Um, and so we had performance goals. I felt that if I looked at somebody else as my competition, then I would be limiting my, what I would be able to achieve. And I didn't want to limit myself because chances are, if I was in a competition, I was looking at somebody and that say, that's my, my competition, the Chinese, whomever, and they miss a dive, what's going to happen? I'm probably going to miss my next dive. So I never wanted to, to limit my potential. I mean, and that's, that's the way that I was able to break 700 on springboard and then break 710 meter platform, which was unheard of you know, at the 1984 Olympic Games is, you know, it was about the performance. And, and I broke 700 even before I went to that Olympic Games. My coach and I, my coach devised a, a, a game that we would play. It would be the 700 game. In order for me to break 700 on 10 meter platform, I had to, I had to average eight and a halves or better on all 10 dives that I executed. So he would say, okay, we're playing the 700 game and he would score my dives and through the, the training session. And I would bounce back and forth over that eight and a half mark and, uh, you know, and through, through the training session. And sometimes I was successful. Sometimes I wasn't one time that I was successful. It was, we were training in uh, Miami, University of Miami, and it was gale force winds blowing into the platform. So it feels like the wind is blowing you into the platform, which is, feels really, really dangerous. And so my coach challenged me and said, you know, okay, we're playing the 700 game. I said, okay, great. I, I, I interpreted that as a challenge. So I took it on, I warmed up, stretched out, started going. I was bouncing back and forth over that eight and a half mark. And then it came down to my last dive and I needed, I think an eight and he gave me a nine. So I was like, awesome. You know, so I broke 700 at that training session, packed my bags up, you know, took off, ran errands. Next day I show up to the pool. My coach came up to me and said, Greg, you were the only one who got in the pool that day. You know, and so it, it really is, you know, it's, it's how you interpret, how you give what uh, information you're given, what meaning you put on that. I put on it that it was a challenge. You know, it didn't matter what the weather was doing. It didn't matter what anything, what anybody else was doing. You know, I didn't, I wasn't making any, any type of comparisons because the only thing that I was responsible was and had control of was me. And so that is, that is where my, my focus was. So my, my focus was, was performance, you know, to perform at my, you know, my greatest, greatest potential. And that was my goal. And I'm Gregory and I'm finished speaking. No, Gregory, it's so interesting. And I, I thank you so much and what an honor it always is to speak to you as well. Um, you know, I, I, I share that exact 
uh, same philosophy uh, attitude with people in business because people in business are no different. They have a tendency to determine who their competition is, regardless of whether it's a real estate broker or a car dealership or anything else. And what I what I try to uh, teach them is is comparing yourself with somebody else or even competing with these other. Uh, uh, imaginary competitors is a sucker bet, right? Because then it forces them, just like you said, it forces them to live within the confines of their own, their expectations, their beliefs, their vision of what um, th the best version of themselves is. And so you're 100% right. If I'm a, if I'm a car dealer, and the best dealership in my market sells 300 cars a month, and then what I have to sell 301, but I'm capable of selling 500, it's a complete sucker bet, right? So I'm going to take my vision off the table and park it on the side and probably not even consider it, not even create accountability to, to achieve the best version of ourselves as that organization. So it's so interesting uh, because I, I could not agree with you more. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. David, the other thing on top of that is what, what you're doing is you're stifling your own create creativity, you know, and, and why would you stifle your own creativity to, you know, to, you know, blow people out of the water? You know, that's, you know, that's what, you know, that's what we're here for, right? You know, to be the absolute best versions of ourselves. And I'm Gregory and I'm finished speaking. I, I used to say, Gregory, in my dealership, you know, we readily beat everybody, and then we would beat them by more. And um, like, kind of like Diane was talking about, I did. You know, we, I didn't just want to beat. I didn't just want to win. I wanted to absolutely demolish. Um, you know, anybody in the marketplace, and and because I wanted us to achieve one hundred percent of what we were capable of, and not compare ourselves. And so, uh, I was sharing this with another group about a, a few months ago that. Um, in fact, like Paragon Honda, Paragon Acura, uh, great Brian Benstock, when you're number one in the world, now what do you do? Why? Well, I said, well, you start to stretch out how much you're winning by, right? So one of the one of the challenges is, is, is it's easier to climb Mount Everest than to live up there. And the reason why that is, is oftentimes when people achieve number one, wherever they are, they have this tendency to take the foot off the gas and and to ease up a little bit. And what we've learned is that when you set a goal and you, you get to 80, 85% of that goal, you've got to set a new goal that pushes that ribbon, that proverbial ribbon further out so that you maintain your level of focus, intensity, urgency, energy, and so forth. And so I think that what you're saying is, is so applicable. I don't care what walk of life somebody's in right now. Um, I think that exact mindset that you had if it's applied to anything, it's going to create a much better outcome than any of us could have possibly imagined. So I, sh I appreciate you sharing that. Awesome. Hey, Laura. Awesome. And Greg, 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 hey, yeah. Greg, a question Diane Dixon. Can you talk about, I think it was in 84, you hit your head on the diving board and then you came back. Um, 80, right, you hit your head, yeah, so you hit your head on the diving board, then you came back. Um, can you explain to us exactly what your mindset was after that happened? Because everybody thought that you were done, but you were not done. And you came back 
And I believe you came back stronger than ever. I'm like, he hit his head. Is he dead? What's going on? Oh, my God. We all were like, oh, and all. But you came back. So can you explain exactly what happened on that day? Um, sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, in 1988, uh, I was... <laughs> In the prelims, thank God it was prelims. But um, on, on my ninth dive, my reverse two and a half pike, um, I stood up a little too straight. And when you do that, you, as a diver, you're worried about hitting your hands or your arm or something like that. And so I knew I was gonna be close and I made sure that I, when I came out of the dive, when I unfolded from the dive, that I made sure that my arms were wide so they wouldn't hit the board. And then I, all of a sudden I heard this big hollow thud and I go crashing into the water. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what was that? And I realized, oh my God, that was my head. And then my first emotion that I felt was embarrassment because we're at the Olympics, the entire world is watching. And I hit my head on the board. I mean, I'm supposed to be a pretty good diver, right? And pretty good divers don't do that kind of stuff. And so I was embarrassed. I was trying to figure out how can I get out of the pool without anybody seeing me when the eyes of the world were on me. And so, and then I got angry. I got angry with myself that I allowed that to happen. And, um, and I'm, I don't view myself as a fighter. So uh, I, I, I really, you know, uh, that's so foreign to me. But I knew I had to dig deep and, and find the fighter in me. And I thought to myself, um, I was dear friends with, uh, with Ryan White, who was a young boy who contracted HIV. He was a hemophiliac, and he uh, contracted HIV uh, through his clotting factor. And he was, he was a fighter. I mean, he fought for the right for, for kids to be able, with, living with HIV, to get an education, to go to school. And, um, you know, he went to Washington on the Hill and testified. And, you know, he was a fighter and he was my buddy. And he and I, I thought to myself, what would Ryan White do in this situation? I knew he would fight. And so my coach came to me and said, look, you don't have to get back out there. You know, you can just pack up and, 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 and we can be done. You have all these records and, uh, you know, the records are going to stand for a long, long time. You don't have to get back there. I thought I was totally out of the competition. And so I said, I'm, I thought I was out of the competition. I didn't get, I got zeros on that dive. He said, well, you're in fifth. And that fifth makes it into finals. So I had two more dives. And so I, I said, you know what, Ron, we've, we've worked too long and hard to get here and I don't want to give up without a fight. And so he said, okay, let's go take a walk. And so we, we walked and and Ron was telling me, oh, hockey players, they get 30 stitches and you get back on the ice and you got five stitches in your head. That's nothing, you know. And we were just laughing. We were laughing about the whole situation. Uh, and then he reminded me, he said, you know what? I didn't have time to get over that situation, that trauma. He said, you know, you got to set, set this aside like it never happened because that was just a fluke. It was just a fluke, and you need to finish your last two dives just like you've been doing in training. And so when I got up there and I, I, you know, I, I hear my dive announce, Greg Luganis, United States, uh, doing reverse, reverse one and a half somersaults with three and a half twists, 
And I set the board and I could hear an audible gasp from the audience because they knew I was going in the same direction that I hit the board on. And I, I took a deep breath and patted my chest like my heart was pounding outside my chest. And the people who in the vicinity who saw that started chuckling, they started laughing and I started laughing and because they were scared for me and I was scared for me. <laughs> and so it was like, oh my God. And, and I realized, oh my God, these people are in my corner. They're cheering for me. And so I said, you know what, to myself and my, my, my mindset was, you know, this is the Olympic Games, you can't hold back. And so I, I did my dive and my reverse one and a half or three and a half twist, as it turned out, that was the highest scoring dive of that Olympic Games. Wow. <laughs> I knew it. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much. Lauren, back to you. Well, thank you, champions. I That was a really, really fun window into your experience and what it's like. And I appreciate you all so much. And I would love to continue this conversation. So I'd like to set up an interview with you amazing champions and continue this conversation. Um, and, and I have some amazing news with everybody. So we're actually going to be moving the social media show into this room starting next week. So we don't have to club hop anymore. But my whole point of that is we're going to have a lot more segments. We're going to have a lot more time to, to dive into Diane and dive into Gregory, pun intended, and be able to carry this conversation out further. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Thank you for your words, David. They didn't go unnoticed. Thank you to everyone that spoke up today. I adore you all. Um, and with that, I want to hand the mic, the mic back over to Alpha, who I think has some closing music for us. If not, I will go ahead and close the room. Alpha, yeah. are you there? Yes, ma'am. Well, Lauren, that was outstanding in the entire show from top to bottom. We've shared a lot of insights today. We've gathered a lot of gems, and hopefully we'll take those gems out into the world and use them. This has been Breakfast with Champions, the Millionaire Breakfast Club. Brought to us by Mr. Glenn Lundy, who has been on vacation, but he delivered a very authentic, out in the world, walking on the beach message this morning that landed without a studio, without production. And sometimes that's all it takes, just an authentic message to reach authentic people. Thank you for joining us. And as stated, we will be back in the morning, as always, for more Breakfast with Champions. So I'll leave us with a little music and everyone open your mic and just say hello and goodbye. And we'll see you in the social media room very shortly. Awesome segment, Lauren. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.